Check. 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 Check, 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 check. Welcome back to the Christ in Culture. This is Gordon. And this is Clint. Did I do that wrong? What? My, my thing, like the countdown? No, you did it. Oh. Yeah, we're good. Okay, because I did it. No, I know I did it, but you looked at, at me or at my fingers like I did it wrong. No, I was waiting. Okay. Because it's a countdown. Yes, okay. Well, and we're th- back. Three years <laughs> in and we're still trying to figure it out, guys. We're doing great. Mm-hmm. Welcome back to the Christ in Culture. Yeah. Hopefully you guys are drinking tea. We are, as Always. Always. And mug that's ginormous. Yeah, I picked that one out just for you. Speaking of mugs, if you would like mugs and other cool things like stickers with our amazing logo on it, we would too. (laughs) We would too. So join us at patreon.com backslash the Christian culture and you guys can become patrons and get bonus content and things like that. Uh, Also, since we're doing this at the beginning, don't forget to follow us at On the Adventure Two on Twitter and on other social media at The Crash Culture. How you doing? Pretty good. Okay. Uh, this month is busy, but all good things. And yeah, I don't know. I've I think I mentioned in the last podcast moved into kind of more of a director role at my mission, mm-hmm. which really doesn't mean much of anything right now because me and Chris were so much on an equal level and a team i think the biggest thing is that means at the end of this month like he'll be less there yeah but because of that like i've just been leading a lot that's needed this month with the retreat and all that stuff but in doing so just seeing the fruits of that we have already have like two more kids signed up than we did last year with the potential of five more hopefully this uh by the end of this week which means we'd be doubling our numbers from last year which we doubled doubled which we doubled from the year before and we have a eighth grade retreat tomorrow mm-hmm. as well as our first worship night tomorrow oh cool is that the one that like goes throughout the whole semester yeah cool cool yeah so that starts tomorrow and then we have our teens getting confirmed on thursday nice which is really exciting there's a lot going on yeah and then we almost did the junior high rally but no one signed up and then we have the high school retreat so for those of you who maybe are just joining or Just you don't know us. what uh, yeah. Gordon does. He is a missionary with Adore Missions uh, based out of here in Houston, Texas. So basically, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, as missionaries, they go to parishes who um, basically re- request you guys to come, right? It's kind of an agreement. Uh, and they just serve the whole parish. So a lot of the times that happens in youth ministry. And so that's kind of like what you're talking about now. But your job is to serve the parish as a whole so adults whatever the parish needs i can technically technically most missionaries that are hired on are hired on for the youth i know some of our missionaries down especially in angleton have like a young adult ministry that they've started yeah and we could do that that's more of like a dream on a dream basis Mm -hmm. so like there's definitely a young adult need at shrine that like and everywhere right but at uh, from especially like hispanic young adult group which i don't even know where to begin with that but Three years from now, if everything else is going well, like I'd love to have something like that started by then. Yeah. So yeah, there's because I'm a missionary, there's more infinite possibilities. I'm not restrained as much. I don't know because I've ever done other like salary-based youth ministry, but it's also harder sometimes financially. Yeah, for so, sure. When some lose some. You're right, and so when Gordon says that his the numbers of people attending stuff has doubled, that's pretty significant yeah when you have no, that mo- means I no have money to work with 16 kids coming this year <laughs> rather than eight from last year yeah that's pretty awesome though yeah cool cool so what media have you been in taking or have you not been taking in as much oh, i wish i could say i haven't been but i wrote them down hey you're learning i know <laughs> i usually do but today i was like we're recording so i got lizzie to watch uh Actually, Sunday, it was when the 
uh, Oscars were going on, which we couldn't watch, but we watched one of the movies in the Oscars, which I hoped would win everything, and it won like three of the things, and that's Parasite by Bo Joon Um or something. Is a Korean film. Okay. It won Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Original Screenplay. Screenplay. Wow. Fantastic movie. Uh, could also probably even do a podcast on it fairly easily. It's really great. And it's called Parasite. It's called Parasite. I feel like there's a lot of movies called Parasite in the sci-fi. Yeah, I wouldn't call it sci-fi. It's not sci-fi. No, it's more like a thriller, and it's it's more yeah it's hmm. okay. I don't know. It, it takes place in like the. It, it's a real. Uh, it's a discussion piece on poverty and the rich of of South Korea. Interesting. Yeah. Is there actually a parasite, or are people the parasites? The Say poor. That out loud. So the people. poor are the <laughs> poor are the parasite. They're considered. They're, they're, in conversation, they're considered cockroaches. Uh, um, and so like one of the, one of the things you see in the film is that they live at at the lowest portion like spicy level in, okay, in yeah. Korea and then the rich live very high. Yeah. And like I mean, even their toilet here. in their house is like you have to step up onto it and so like they even live oh, below wow. the like the toilet like in their house like a cockroach would. Yeah. And then there's a scene when they're in the rich person's house because uh, of a certain circumstance and the people come home and they have to hide and like scatter like when the lights turned on as, mm. as if like a cockroach would and so it's just kind of random but the rich people are probably in better shape then because they have to go upstairs all the time no because they have they have machines for that no machines but people that do most that stuff for them okay mm. yeah it's really good though my, my favorite movie of 2019 if you asked Ah, we also watched Baby Driver in the same night because we had, that's like two years old. It is. Okay. But Lizzie liked it a lot and I haven't seen it. So I was like, I want you to watch this movie because I think you'd like it. She's like, well, I want you to watch this movie because I think you'd like it. And we couldn't decide on which one because we both didn't want to watch each other's movies. Mm-hmm. So we watched both. Nice. Uh, I also have gotten into two bands. One is, his name is Spencer Sutherland. Okay. He's kind of like, I guess, a modern indie R&B artist. So like he... This genre that's like impossible to define. Yes. <laughs> so it's like R&B, but more like hip and indie and cool, I guess. And um, he does have some choice words in his songs and stuff, but his music videos are really fun. And so that's how we kind of stumbled into him. And they're kind of funny. Mm-hmm. And then from that, we found the Wallows which is another band. And I think it's the guy from 13 reasons why like the lead role. This is his band that he was in before he was on that show. And he's still in that band now. It's about like, um, so he was a singer before then and that's his band and they're much better. Like they're not like, uh, there's not as much swearing. There's swearing, but the themes aren't as bad. Um, as, as, as that one. That's it. Cool. What about you? So, because of Exodus 90, I have really only taken in books and musicals because a bunch of my teens are in plays and musicals right now. So I saw Matilda, the musical. I saw Mamma Mia, the musical. And then today, like only a couple hours ago, I saw a play called, I think it was called Tales of Shipwrecked. And it was like a super fast, like 30 minute play of. Uh, this guy who gets shipwrecked in Australia and he tells like all these fantastic stories and the whole thing is like, is it true? Is it really not true? You don't know. There's even a part where they say, what is truth? Mm. And I'm like, Pontius Pilate. What is that? Yeah. Uh, Where'd you see plays? Like at schools or? Yeah. So my my teens are in different stuff. So since we're explaining what our jobs are, I'm a youth minister at a parish and yeah, I like to go see what they're doing, support them and stuff. So those were all really cool. And then, like I said, I've been reading a ton. So last week I mentioned I had started Star Wars Thrawn, the mm-hmm. first of the Thrawn trilogy. And I finished that. And then I started reading Raging Heat, which I think is the fifth or sixth book in the 
Nikki Heat series by Richard Castle from the TV show oh, Castle. Okay. Uh, finished that one, and then I started reading Redwall, the children's books. Yeah. I used to love that TV show, and I'm over halfway through that already too. Nice. So I'm just crushing books, and that's uh, I think that's it. But actually, since I mentioned Redwall, there's a ton of Catholic undertones in there, and like okay. I watched the show growing up. And so I knew there were stuff. So for starters, it's an abbey. And so you have like the friars and the the abbot and everything. But they're mice, right? But they're mice. Okay. And then they're fighting rats and snakes and they're sparrows. It's really, really cool. Um, But the more I read it now that I'm older, there's so much Catholicism in it. It's ridiculous. So there you go. I also, I also remembered, and I, I told you about this, but I want to put this in here because I'll probably mention it again next week because you guys should check it out. But I found a new podcast that I am actually like super just passionate about uh, called LeVar Burton Reads, mm. which if you don't know who LeVar Burton is, then you're you do, too young. <laughs> you actually do know who LeVar Burton is. You just don't realize you know who that is. But it's the guy from Reading Rainbow or Star Trek. I think those are his two biggest roles, really. Take a look. It's in a book. Reading Rainbow. Yeah, and this podcast that he's in basically was fan-made, essentially, where like people just kept bugging him, like, when are you going to do the Reading Rainbow thing but for adults? Yeah. Which essentially means all the kids from Reading Rainbow grew up. And right, because like, he's like the Mr. Rogers of our generation. Yeah. Everyone loved him. You've seen Community, right? The TV show? Uh, some of it, yeah. Okay. Is he, does he show up in it? Yeah, because one of the characters has like this insane obsession that... Is it Donald Glover's character? Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, and so there's like they bring him in in a scene to like unite them and see what would happen. And Donald Glover's character just like panic attacks, can't talk, and just like starts crying. <laughs> it's hilarious. Amazing episode. Yes. But yeah. So, yeah, it's a pretty much a podcast. There are only 30 to 40 minute episodes where he reads short fiction that he handpicks um i listened to the first two episodes i just got chris into it actually he's listened to like the first he's flown through the first six mm. some are like really weird because short fiction is only like pa- books that are 30 to 40 pages that's mm-hmm. what he talks about like to make a book with a good middle a beginning middle and end in short 40 pages or less is like a really skill. hard but because of that they leave so much out that at the end you're like what the heck was that about yeah but the, it's just still him reading it to you, though, and his voice is incredible, and mm. it's just, I want to listen to it every night before I fall asleep. Yeah, he's he's like a legend. Yeah. After that show. And like you said, he's really only famous for those two things, Star Trek and then that. But he's done so much stuff afterwards. Like he, he I think he left acting. Mm. Uh, obviously, he's back into voice acting if he's doing this. But, um, but he invested a ton after he retired from Reading Rainbow to helping kids learn how to read and stuff so he's like super passionate about this yeah and has done a lot to help people so so if you're looking for a way to read but like me you don't really it's harder for you to sit down to read and you're looking for something short and you're like hey i I read a short fiction lavar burton reads check it out at your local podcast app after listening to this episode and And, the rest of our episodes and because we know he listens shout out to lavar burton our good friend Yes. (laughs) Good friend of the show. Oh, yeah. All right. So, the last thing that we've been taking in, or at least me, uh, I did not. Last night, I broke my Exodus 90 fast to watch a movie that was requested by the Thai. The Thai. The Thai. The Thai. That's just how we're going to forever refer to him as. TT. Yeah. Uh, He might not like that one as much. So. The movie is called Sunshine, so it's from 2007, and basically all he told me, he, he requested this the first time like a year ago, and oh, okay. I just like forgot to put it on the list. And he mentioned, I was like, I didn't see it. Yeah, he mentioned yeah. it the other day, and I was like, oh yeah, whoops, and so here it is. Um, he mentioned it like 12 years ago. <laughs> before like I was 13 born. 13 years ago yeah. when it came out. <laughs> uh, yeah, and so he said it was really good. He told me it was basically this sci-fi movie. Uh, and that Chris Evans was in it, and that we'd find a lot of good stuff. So that's really all I knew. 
So the entire thing takes place on a spaceship on its way to the sun. Okay. Okay. And so this ship is absolutely massive. Uh, I'll explain what they're doing in a second, but it's this self-sustaining ship that's traveling for years as they make their way to the sun. And the crew is really only eight people. And that's mainly who we see in the entire movie. So the first one is Robert Kappa. He is the very first person that you hear. He's kind of the narrator for, for the opening part. And he's a physicist that developed the tech on a lot of it, including the bomb, which is what they're delivering to the sun. Okay. They're trying to drop this bomb into the sun. We'll talk about why. But this bomb is this huge cube the size of Manhattan. So it's massive. Like We're talking miles. And it's played by Killian Murphy who plays Scarecrow in the Batman, Christopher Nolan uh, Batman series. Love that guy. Yeah. And then we have Dr. Searle, who is the psych officer, and he's played by Cliff Curtis, who I didn't know who that was, but he plays Lord Ozai in the Avatar The Last Airbender cartoon. Like the blue people? No, like, like the cartoon. Don't mess with me, it's the best. And then the, the, ne- the next one is actually the ship itself because it's artificially intelligent. So the name is Icarus 2 because they actually had a mission before that failed. And that was Icarus 1. Um, Icarus got too close to the sun. Yeah. There you go. The Greek legend. Uh, (laughs) So the next actual character is uh, Karazan, who she just goes by Kara for a lot of the movie, just for short. Her job is she's in charge of the oxygen levels to make sure that they have enough oxygen. Okay. But she's also kind of like a farmer because, like I said, they're self-sustaining. So they have this farm which keeps the oxygen levels up. So, yeah, that's played by Michelle Yeo. I think I said that wrong, but I don't know. But she's in all the new Avatar. Yes, the blue people. Okay. And it's like two, three, four, and five according to her imdb i didn't even know they had that many coming out but oh yeah apparently that's they do. why they haven't come out in so long who played icarus chip chung i didn't find much big I stuff that she was in that i recognized and then the next one is kaneda so that's the captain of the ship okay played by hiroyuki sonata he was in endgame and wolverine and my personal favorite the last samurai which I don't know what he plays in Endgame and Wolverine, but in The Last Samurai, he plays one of the main characters that's kind of like butting heads with uh, Tom Cruise's character. The next one is Cassie. And something I didn't point out is that the only one who you find out what their last name is is Kappa. I don't know if there's any significance to that, but the rest of them just go by their first names the whole time. Right. So Cassie is played by Rose Byrne. I don't really know what her official job is but she's like always on the computer doing controls and stuff they never really say exactly what she does but we like her like okay. she she's like the good person that's like always good right and you know how like in horror movies there's always that one person that they no matter what happens they're always the moral one even when everyone else is being stupid and getting killed yeah of course she's that person yeah. for this movie so the next one is Trey. He's the navigations officer. He's played by Benedict Wong, who is also Wong from Doctor Strange and Avengers. The next one is Mace. Like Mace Windu, but not. But not Mace Windu. But not. It's Chris Evans. Which Chris is Evans Windu. Chris Evans Windu. Uh, obviously, Chris Evans plays Captain America and what people often forget is he also played the human torch in right. the fantastic four movies so after that we have harvey he's the communications officer and the second in command and spoiler he later becomes the captain when uh Canada dies what yeah spoiler right off the bat uh and that's played by troy garrity i didn't find much on him either as an actor but, okay uh so those are the the main characters sounds like a whole bunch of nobodies no, they're like huge. And the thing is, uh, I left out some of them, but basically everyone in here is either in a DC movie, a Marvel movie, or an Avatar movie. <laughs> I think, yeah, just about everyone. 
And then the last character that comes in later is called Pinbacker, and that's played by Mark Strong, who is actually, he's becoming one of my favorite actors right now. Uh, so he's Merlin from Kingsman. He's also in the new movie, 1917. He's in Imitation oh, yeah, Game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's in like anything where you need like a classic British gent. He's in it probably. Okay. Cool, so he's cool. that guy. All right. So that's all the characters. I know that's a lot of talking, but it, because there's so few of them, they all play pretty major roles in what's going on. So like I said, the sun is their target. And the reason why they're going there is the sun is dying. Oh. And everyone on earth is about to die because there's no sun to sustain life. Yeah, that's real life. So, yeah. So they're about to drop this stellar bomb, is what they're calling it, into the sun to try and create a new star within the sun, basically creating this. uh, The science doesn't add up. That sounds like a terrible idea. I don't know. But that's what they're going for. And so they talk about how the first mission failed and no one knows what happened to them. They kind of just disappeared. Uh, foreshadowing cool and so you see the ship and it's absolutely massive and part of it is this observation deck and so in the observation deck is um well first off the ship itself has a massive shield which deflects the sun's heat and radiation without the shield the entire ship could just be fried instantaneously so in this observation deck you can see the sun but they have it dimmed to like half a percent of its potential and you like wear sunglasses and stuff. And so Dr. Searle goes in there a lot. He's just obsessed with like light and darkness and this kind of um, combination. So in one of the opening scenes, he's in the observation deck and he's like, Icarus, how bright can this go? And he's like trying to get it to go as bright as possible without like blinding him. And she's like, well, you can go up to like, I think it's like 3% or something like that for only 30 seconds before you go blind he's like put it at 2.9 he like puts sunglasses on and he just sits there as long as he can staring into the sun and he's just obsessed with like the power of the sun and right after that he's talking to the others and he says a quote that i think is kind of something we can talk about here so he says the point about darkness is you float in it you and the darkness are distinct from each other because darkness is an absence of something. It's a vacuum. But total light, it envelops you. It becomes you. What do you think? Well, I think we've talked about light a lot. And so, obviously, light is something that stems from the sun. The sun being the son of God. So light stems from God. And I, I love... I love that he references like darkness being the absence of something. Cause I've used that in talks before. Like darkness is just the absence of light. It's not like this other thing that exists. It's just that uh, God's light, God's warmth, all that it isn't in either this moment or, well, that wouldn't necessarily be true, but in this thing, it's, it's the absence of God. Um, and, and that we know can, comes from the enemy, comes from these other things. And so, I love the float, like we float in the darkness, mm-hmm. because I, I do think we find a lot of, it kind of goes back to, was it last episode? It was Yes Man? Yeah. Yeah. So like how saying no can be so much easier because even though yes leads to so much good and so much beauty, yes also leads to so much commitment and so much work and mm-hmm. so much sometimes hardship too. Same thing. So the darkness is easier. It's comfortable. It's like we're just like we can just like sit and float and glide along but true light like basking in that it, like once you take that in and see it and 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 really you know like photosynthesize with it for lack of really better words we're not plants so not actually but, no like photosynthesize <laughs> I like chlorophyll glands i like to use a lot of big words <laughs> sometimes i use my big photosynthesis I don't know what they mean. Uh, yeah. Then it does. Uh, I think photosynthesis is a good word because it does become you. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm just teasing. Um, I know what you're trying to say. And in that same way, like when we sit in, in the presence of God and his goodness and his truth, like who we are, which is distinct 
to any, anyone else does become this light of God. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. And you brought up a lot of good points there too. And going back to the darkness being the absence of light in the same way we talk about how evil is the absence of good. Uh, and that's kind of just a measurement. And we've talked about that on a couple episodes before, so I don't want to just keep repeating that same thing. But I think you're really onto something with the floating in darkness versus the becoming the light. Like it envelops you and it becomes you. Um, and it's almost the opposite way around where the light doesn't become us, but we become altered by the light. Right. And that's, I think, the same more for our faith, too. Uh, there's the saying, God became man so that man might become more like God. Yes. And I think that's what applies here, too. Whereas even in darkness, we talk about darkness being sin in here all the time. And this mentions how you float in it, but you're always distinct from it. It never becomes you. And I think that's really important to remember, too, because we get so lost in our sin that we think that it becomes our identity. And this is saying, no matter how much you're floating in it, it's still separate from you and you can never change that. But the light will actually envelop you and it'll change who you are and it'll affect you. Yeah. And I didn't catch that actually. But what you just made me think of is like, what allows something to float is buoyancy. Mm -hmm. And buoyancy is almost this idea of like that two things are distinct, but also in a way, I wouldn't say like buoyancy isn't like it's repelling the water, but in a way that like some molecules, it's lighter than. And so in that way, we are to, right. We are to rise above the darkness. Mm. Hmm. Yeah. Cause on, cause when you're floating, you're, you're less dense. And so you, you, you float up. Right. And yeah. So it's not like you're drowning in it. No, you're, you're floating. Yeah. You're something separate and it's comfortable. It's nice. We love to float in the pool nice little inner tube drinking your hand but we're not we're, we're meant for to be above it yeah where the light is right awesome so after this conversation they pass mercury and they go to the viewing deck and they like see it and everything it's really really cool and as they pass it on the other side of mercury they hear a distress call and they figure that it is from Icarus 1, which was lost seven years earlier, seven full years. And they figure out where it is. They do all the calculations and stuff. And they realize that if they make some adjustments in their course, they can get there. They're not really sure about supplies or what they're going to do, stuff like that. But they think they can get there. And so they talk about it. And ultimately... Kaneda, the captain, puts it down to Kappa's decision because he's the one who's uh, ultimately in charge of the mission in a way. Okay. Because he's the physicist that's in charge of dropping the right. the payload. And Kappa's like, okay, let's let's do it. And he, that night, has a nightmare and everything. And Cassie's there and she's like, you did the right thing. Uh, everyone else uh, is not everyone, but most of the others are telling him like he, d- he didn't do the right thing. He shouldn't do that. that he's risking the mission. The most adamant of which is Mace, which is Chris Evans's character. And he's like kind of the opposite of Captain America in a lot of ways in this <laughs> one. He's always the instigator. He's getting in fights. He is uh, always super mission oriented. And so he's trying to do the right thing, but he's willing to sacrifice anything and anyone to get it done this kind of sounds sort of like chris evans like snowpiercer i've never seen it me Sorry. neither but that's just my picture okay this is a classic moral dilemma though this is the trolley dilemma yeah well that's yes that's very very big in this movie do they bring that up not specifically but this situation where they yeah because save if, if you save the sun you're saving the world like millions of people. Yeah, you want to explain the trolley dilemma? Yeah, the trolley dilemma is you... Or the bus dilemma, whichever one you Yeah. Want. Either way, it's a classic moral dilemma um, and psych, psych, not psychology, uh, philosophy. Philosophy. Yeah. Moral and philosophy. 
You're on a you're on a bus or a car or, or a trolley, and it's on a track. The reason why it's a trolley because it's like it's a stuck it's track. On a track, yeah. And you realize you're going to, uh, like fall off a bridge. No. Well, basically, the the easiest way to say it is there's two paths right. on the the trolley. You can either stay on the the path that you are on, and kill three people, who are tied to the track. And you can't stop. There's not room. The brakes are broke. Right. Whatever you want to say. There's three people on your path. You can switch the lever to go to the other path, but there's one person on that side. Right. And some people will say also, well, that one person is your son. Or yeah, there's different ways to do it. Like, like a family member. school bus, the kids, or yeah, the one, the so three people pregnant. Like, yeah. But the thing is, is like people disassociate themselves from the situation. Like if I don't touch the lever... It's not my fault. Mm-hmm. The person was going, to, those three people were going to die anyways, which when I pull the lever, I'm the one that killed that one person. So do you, do you sacrifice one life for three? All these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a really complicated situation. It is, yeah. And to say that three lives are more valuable than one or like any life, that's what's called utilitarianism. And so it's kind of like weighing lives and weighing uh, value. Right. based off of use or its utility to society or to you or whatever. And that comes up a lot. Not the word utilitarianism, but this idea comes up a lot. We see it in Dr. Searle and we see it in um, Mace quite a bit. Those are kind of the, the two main proponents of it. I mean, I totally get it. I did, listening to it already, I feel like I'm not watching the movie, so I feel like it'd be different understanding like the the language and the emotions. But I'm on board with everyone else. I would have gone to the sun. Like I don't know how long they have, but I think that's a stupid idea to yeah. derail it for probably eight more people. Sorry, I if the if yeah if the sun's going to die, that's the mission. And so I'm kind of on board with them right now. So I'm <laughs> curious how this plays out. Okay. We'll see what happens. Well, so they eventually say the reason why Kappa decides to go is because they have a second bomb. And so if they have two bombs, they don't even know if one bomb is going to do it. They don't know if two bombs is going to do it. But they think if they have two bombs, they would be more likely to succeed in creating this new star. And so that's why Kappa decides to go for it. Could I ask a, another question? Yeah. Do they expect to return? Yes. Uh, theoretically. They have enough supplies and everything. The way the ship's designed, they're supposed to make it back. Okay. But they they are expecting to, but they're also like... Willing. Yeah. yeah. They, they know what the risk is. Right. Especially since the only other mission failed. Right. So, right after that, Dr. Searle says, and I quote, Their lives are totally expendable, as are ours. In comparison to our mission, which is exactly what we were just talking about, this we don't we don't matter. What matters is the mission because the mission is the most important, and that's the utilitarianism. And in this way, it's a little bit different because if their mission fails, those people are dead anyways. Right. And so this is a little bit different than the trolley example, but yeah. I think that's still a, a fair thing to bring up. So what happens? Trey, being the navigations officer. He does all the calculations. He triple checks them and everything. He makes the adjustment to go pick them up. And basically right after he does that, they realize something bad is happening. And the alarms go off and everything. So they run into the navigations area. And he's like, I messed up. And he explains what happened. He did all the calculations correct, did everything correct. But he forgot to adjust the shield for their altered course. And so what happens is they start taking on heat and radiation and damaging the ship. Because of that, uh, they figure out they can fix it, but uh, they have to go outside to do it. And so Kaneda and Kappa go out. Mace volunteers Kappa to do it because he's like, you made the decision, you have to go out. And so they go out there and long story short, they fix it, but... Kaneda sacrifices himself in the process. Yeah. Kappa just barely makes it back. And the reason why it kind of got crazy is a fire started in the oxygen farm. And basically the entire thing is lost. All the plants are gone. Most of their oxygen is gone. And they might not have enough oxygen to even make it to the sun anymore. 
Whereas okay. before they had extra. And so now they're like, we have to go to the yeah, ship now we have to because we need, we need the stuff. So they lose that. And in the process, there's like more internal damage that's done. And they, they lose some stuff on the inside. And because Kaneda dies and Trey is blaming him, blaming himself for everything, he's labeled a suicide risk and he's sedated and that's it. So he's just kind of strapped down and stuff. Okay. And so he's sedated like 23 hours a day for the rest of the trip. Jeez. Kara says that if two more people die, they would have enough oxygen to make it to their mission objective. And so now we start getting the question of, we can still do the mission, but someone needs to die. And like, who is it? And so th- they basically say like, Trey, because he messed up. And he's sedated anyways. Yeah. And so they're trying to figure out like, okay, like who who's going to do it basically. And so this conversation keeps coming up throughout the whole movie. Like, who do we kill? Who Like, who is expendable? And so this goes back to this use, utilitarianism. Yeah, another moral dilemma. And it's yeah. see, the reason why this is a problem is you're seeing the person not as a person, but you're seeing them only as what their value to society is. And once you do that, people are so expendable. And then we see that in... We see that in like euthanasia, especially with older people, where okay, you're no longer contributing to society. Why? Why do you matter? And so people just kill them, or with babies, right? Abortion, even. You have not proved yourself as a a being able to live on your own or a, a member of society yet, and so we kill them, right? When they get to Icarus One. They find that the garden is in perfect condition and has basically just been free growing this entire time. So they have food, they have water, oxygen, the bomb, everything works except for the flight controls. It's the only thing that's not working. They get a transmission from the captain of Icarus One, whose name is Pinbacker, I mentioned him before, Yeah. saying they abandoned their mission. And this is where things get interesting. His transmission says, our son is dying. All our science... All our hopes, our dreams are foolish. In the face of this, we are dust, nothing more. And to this dust, we will return. When he chooses for us to die, it is not our place to challenge God. And so this is where we're introduced to Pinbacker, the extremist Christian. <laughs> and so he's basically saying like, we shouldn't do this. We, we should let what's happening happen. This is, this is God natural. trying to do his thing, and we shouldn't fight back. Yeah, and so right after that, Dr. Searle finds the crew of Icarus 1. They are all huddled together in the observation room where they had opened the observation window to 100% sunlight and fried themselves, basically committing like suicide. Right after this, Icarus 2 breaks away, so the connection is broken, and they can't reconnect because it actually broke the ship. And there's like, they can't reconnect. Basically. Okay. And so everyone runs to the, the airlock, and they realize there's only one air suit in Icarus 1, and there's no other way to get across to their ship. And so they're basically like, only one person here can survive. So the four guys except for Trey, who's sedated, are all on Icarus 1 and are now going to die except for one of them. And so immediately, Mace and Searle are like, it's got to be Kappa. He's the only one who knows how to drop the payload. And if we can't do that, then the whole mission is a wash. And the guy who is now the captain, Harvey, he's like, no, I'm the captain. Like, I'm going to survive. Like, I need this. I'll, I'll send something for you. And they're like, like what? You're going to go back into space? Like, how does that help anything? It's got to be Kappa. And so they decide they're going to wrap themselves in like this tinfoil and try and get sucked through space into the ship, knowing that it's a, a long shot. And then they realize even after that, someone has to stay behind to open the hatch. So someone has to always, die. someone's always got to do that. Someone's got to stay behind. So we have Dr. Searle who stays behind, opens the hatch. He volunteers. He's like, it's gotta be me. Uh, and so he does that. They are sucked through 
Kappa makes it and grabs Mace and throws him in. In the process, Harvey hits something on the way across. He dies. And then Searle goes to the observation deck and being the guy that loves sunlight, he's like, he turns it up to 100%, puts on his sunglasses and watches the sun. And then he's, same thing happens to him. Uh, and so that's kind of the situation where we're at. And it just keeps getting worse and worse. <laughs> so after that, Icarus's records show that the airlock was disabled manually. And Mace thinks that it, it has to be Trey. Because who else would do it, right? Kara says that with two more people dead, if they lose Trey, they would have enough oxygen. So it was Kara? No. Okay. <laughs> so Kappa says now he sees what happened to Icarus 1. He, like the dissension, the wanting to turn on each other. Oh yeah, it's like Lord of the Flies in a spaceship. Ex exactly. And so then Mace is like, F you Kappa, are you trying to say... We have lost our humanity. And then May says that he will volunteer to kill Trey if they all vote. That's what to do, like a democracy. Uh, Mace and Kara uh, vote to kill him. And then Kappa does too. And he says, what are you asking? If I would trade one man's life for all of mankind, of course I would. And then it comes down to Cassie. Cassie says no. And she chooses that one life over the life of everyone else because of what you were talking about before, where the choice to kill someone is different than allowing something to happen, even though it doesn't feel like it. When you're actively choosing to do something that is wrong, that's still wrong. Right. Right. Whereas something that is bad happening and you don't have a good choice that's, I mean, I don't want to say doing nothing, but like if there's no choice presented to you that is good, then you're not as culpable for that, if that makes sense. Yeah, some would argue, some would argue otherwise. Yeah, some would. I'm not saying me, I'm saying like that's the whole point of the trolley problem. Yeah. It's people would argue like not doing something is doing something. Yeah. No, that, that's that's fair and that's why it's a, it's a why dilemma. It's a dilemma. Right? So after that, Mace goes to kill Trey, but he finds Trey's already committed suicide, knowing that he was wasting valuable resources for them. Mace takes Trey's blood, puts it on Kappa's hands, and says, this is on you, basically. And then Icarus starts talking to Kappa and says, Kappa, you were dying. All the crew is dying. Kappa's like, we know we're dying, but as long as we can live long enough to deliver the payload, we're okay with that. Kappa, warning, you will not live long enough to deliver the payload. And he's like, wait, explain that. Like, we, we have enough oxygen now. She's done the math. Car's done the math. And Icarus explains that in 12 hours, they're going to start losing bodily functions. But in, 19 hour, or in 16 hours, they'll be dead. But it takes 19 hours to get to the sun. Because there's a fifth passenger on the ship. And they're like, who? Like, everyone's dead. You want to take a guess? It's from Icarus 1. It's Pinbacker. Yeah. Yeah. So, Kappa finds Pinbacker in the observation room, looking into not direct sunlight, but super high levels. And he's got to, like, shield himself. Meanwhile, Pinbacker's just sitting there. And you can see that he didn't die when he sat in the open sunlight. And basically the way that he's talking, it sounds like it almost empowered him and made him stronger. You can see like all of his skin is kind of like melted and mutated and everything, but he's still alive. And this is what he says. Are you an angel? Has the moment finally come? And then Kappa says, who are you? Pinbacker. At the end of time, a moment will come when just one man remains. Then the moment will pass, and man will be gone. There will be nothing to show that we were even here, but stardust. The last man, alone with God. Am I to be that man? And then Kappa's like, my God, Pinbacker. And then Pinbacker says, not your God, mine. Mm -hmm. 
and he stabs Kappa. And Kappa runs. And they have this whole crazy fight. Uh, Kappa ends up uh, sealing himself in the airlock to get away and try and stop the bleeding. But while he does that, he has no communication with anyone else to let them know what's going on. So Pinbacker goes to the flight controls and pulls them out of the coolant. And so they start essentially self-imploding unless they get back in the coolant, but no one knows to fix them, which is exactly what happened to Icarus 1. And so we see the same thing happening. Okay. So Kara, we skip over to her. She is walking through the garden, notices one single baby plant, Hope. And as she's like looking at it, and trying to like cultivate it, stabbed through the back, Pinbacker kills her. Uh, and then he turns out the lights. Right after that, Mace discovers what's wrong with the controls, and he is the mechanic. That's his role. And so this is where we see the little bit of Captain America in him. He, because the controls are all messed up, you have to manually lower them into the, the coolant, of course, right? And so he has to dive into this freezing liquid and fix them to bring them back down one at a time. And so he keeps diving down, repairing one, diving down, repairing one. And he eventually uh, almost freezes to death. And then on his way out of the last one, his leg gets caught and he he dies. Um, But before he does, he uh, finally gets communication with Kappa. And they explain what's going on. And... He convinces Kappa he needs to get out. Okay, so Kappa gets in a spacesuit, blows the airlock essentially, and then the entire uh, like air, uh, the entire ship basically becomes like space. I guess right. If that makes sense. Yeah, like a uh, vacuum. Yeah, by this point, Cassie had run into Pinbacker and had hid inside the bomb room because oh, okay. it was like the only area that was like sealed off right. and safe. Uh, In the process, she she stabbed him, so he was kind of hurt. So Kappa goes and starts the launch sequence and then jumps from the, like, ship into the bomb room with Cassie and just, like, barely makes it. And he finds Cassie, like, on the ground, like, crying and asks where Pinbacker is. Pinbacker comes from behind, grabs him, all that jazz. And Pinbacker says, For seven years, I spoke with God. He told me to take us all to heaven. And so, spoiler alert, despite Pinbacker trying to stop them, eventually they fight him off long enough to get the bomb into the sun. And it kind of ends with Kappa standing there as the explosion happens, staring into the light. And there's this happy music playing as they are all blown up essentially. And he's like smiling and reaching out for the light. And then the very last thing is we have a cutscene to earth, like a couple of days later with Kappa's family, his sister, mm-hmm. who he had left a message for right before they lost communication with earth. And it's basically his last words to, to her. Okay. Which is, so if you wake up one morning and it's a particularly beautiful day you'll you'll know we made it and that's it so any thoughts on that before we dive into some themes two things really one um going way back when they kind of talked about utilitarian like split when they first noticed the ship Mm -hmm. and i forget which character it was who mentioned like their mission was the sun and like like they were nothing Searle. okay and the irony in that because if if it's one of those self-defeating arguments because if they are actually not not worth anything like this is the opposite way god works then what would actually happen is what happened with icarus one because in in his argument it's that god once intended this to happen so we shouldn't do anything mm-hmm. meaning like they're they meaning that oh, they're nothing Who's to say God didn't intend for man to build the equipment and a ship to go out and fix this issue? Yeah. So God working through humanity. Right. Rather than without humanity. Yeah. Like that's the irony. They both believe the same thing. Oh, absolutely. That's really good. Um, that's and then point. the other thing is that uh, Pinbacker, right? That's his name? Yeah, the bad guy. 
or just reminds me so much of like the fall of Satan. Yeah. Oh yeah. Because like he, he becomes, I wouldn't say godlike, but so different than humanity absorbing the sun, which is ironic to the very opening line of like darkness and sunlight. Like he basked in the sunlight to where it, it changed him mm-hmm. to a point where he saw the people who was, that was next to him that was just kind of like him as something else, mm-hmm. like beneath Others, him. Yeah. And like it wasn't their God anymore. He, God. he was God and he was in control. That was the issue. He wanted to control everything. Yeah. Um, and the, yeah, just yeah. that fall. And you see him, I don't know if he would even be doing it intentionally because he believes this so much, but he's lying. Like he's deceiving them in extraordinary ways and if you didn't figure it out he's the one that broke the airlock too yeah no i did Once uh, and he so he's fifth, like, like oh he's gosh. like sabotaging everything and he's he's the one destroying it you know mm-hmm. so I, I think that that figure right, totally makes sense uh so another one obviously in this is sacrifice right yeah so i think that's a huge one and it's more of and this is the hard question is what's the right way to sacrifice right self-sacrificial right and so the self-sacrifice is what's like what we're striving for like not seeing yourself as nothing like Searle but seeing yourself as something that is good but that you were to offer as sacrifice to others uh, to lay down for others Uh, not out of pride but out of humility yeah there's something different in okay this is our resources and this is what our resources would be if we had one less person and then the group picking the one person to that being said, and we're like, we're just going to bear through it. And then a day or so in someone steps forward and they're like, look, you guys need to do this. I'm sacrificing myself for you. There's mm. there's something different in that. Uh, not quite the same in that situation. Yeah. It's much different when it's like fight or flight mode. Like I like someone has to open this door and and close it for this and this to happen. Right. I'm going to do that. Um, yeah because like what you were describing is more of like unintended suicide but like where we have dr searle where he's like someone has to stay behind right i'm gonna do it right what i was describing was more of like when they're running out of oxygen and the one character actually did commit suicide and so there's they have all these different like right types of sacrifice in here and it's kind of pulling into question like which one is most moral and like like we said this is something that's extremely debated i feel like i've kind of expressed uh my opinions but like that's i don't know i don't know if that's right and i think it's when it becomes out of unselfishness or even out of like um when it's just when the emotions are pure and good so a lot of the ones when they were picking people and they were voting all those things that was selfish nature they were clinging to the resources for mm-hmm. the good of these things and other people or other objects or I'm choosing myself because look you guys are already choosing me you guys don't like me I'm I'm weak I'm I'm nothing like that message of I'm nothing I'm useless I'm not a part of this mission like God doesn't want to use me in this so I'm taking myself out of the equation and that's wrong too yeah. Well, so let me explain this really quick. So the reason why I I said what I, I think there is because the Catholic Church says that in order for someone to be moral, it has to have three things. It has to have intention, uh, circumstance, and the object itself, right? And all those things have to be morally good. Mm-hmm. If any of those are morally evil, then the action itself is evil, right? So your intention, like you said, if you intend something evil... Even if you're doing something good, that's an evil thing. Right. If the circumstances are evil, if like the action itself, like killing someone, that's evil. Un- obviously, unless there's like the the just like self defense, right? Because you're preserving life. But if you're killing an innocent person, or you're choosing who to who to die, like who gives you, who gives us the right to to choose that, right? We're making ourselves God by doing that. Uh, even saying like, oh, Trey deserved it because it was his fault. Like, he made a mistake. Right. And someone even says, it. I think it's it's Kappa or Cassie. It's like, he made a mistake. We we all make mistakes. And it might have been Kaneda too. All three of those are like better people. Uh, Kappa, he's all about like 
science. Science is the thing. And ultimately that's, I think that's kind of what it comes down to where the Christians in this are kind of like the crazy fanatics. And then it's science that saves the day and overpowers the, the divine plan of God Mm -hmm. or the perceived divine plan of God. And so it is definitely saying like, there's this contradiction between science and faith, which isn't true. We've talked about that before. Um, but it's kind of implying that right. a little bit. And so, yeah, really it just comes down to like this idea of what is the correct sacrifice. And ultimately we do see it come down to only one person left Kappa. And he's the one sacrificing for, for the many. And so in that sense, he's kind of the Christ figure. I don't think it's a very good uh, comparison, but throughout the whole thing, everyone's building up to this moment saying he's the only one that can do it. And in that sense, it's kind of like, not, like I said, not a very good comparison, but like Christ was the only fitting sacrifice right, for our sins, right? And for original sin. And in that sense, only he could do it. Just like how we've talked about, there's things in our lives that only, only we were made to do. And if they, if we don't do them, they don't get done. And that's just how it is. And so I think there's something to that as well, how there's this one man sacrificing himself essentially for all of humanity. And he's the only one capable of, of doing that. And the, the, the last theme that I had is the plant. Okay. The, yeah. ver- the very last hope baby plant hope. Right. And then, yeah, or, I mean, or, or even like life and death and yeah. Cause it's, it's coming from the ashes of right. the fire. Yeah. It's very much like the Phoenix. Right. Right. And that's exactly what I thought when I saw it. I'm like, this is like a baby Phoenix. Right. And the Phoenix itself is supposed to be a symbol of hope and the resurrection. Uh, and so I think that's very much what it is. Hope and the resurrection coming forth in this. So I don't yeah. have much more than that. The only other, I just, I, I mean, you're going to do this with moral issues. I just found a whole bunch of like ironies and like loopholes and a lot of the dialogue. And uh, I mentioned already a few, I think the other one I, I re- remembered was uh, when Pinbacker quoted, like it was, and they're getting the transmission and they're like, the sun is dying. And so this is what God intended type thing. Mm-hmm. And I was just, I pictured that in the context of cruci- the crucifixion of Christ. If like on the way to the crucifixion, people were like, the son of God is ta- being taken to his death. We should, we should stand back and let this happen. This is what God intended. Yeah. Then Christ wouldn't have died. Because <laughs> mm. we were the one, like the people that were involved were the ones that like, I'm not justifying anything, but just the irony to that that sense of of that quote. Right, but if at the same time, if we would have, oh, I see what you're saying. If we would have done something, then we would have stopped it, kind of thing. We could have stopped it, or if we would have not done anything, even the one like if every of the people that were killing him were like, let's just stand back. Yeah. Well, I mean, even going off of that though, it's not outside of God's control to save us in a different way. Right. So he deemed that to be the most fitting way. Exactly. And there's reasons for that we we can talk about. I'm sure we're probably going over time, but Yeah. But yeah, so it's not outside of God's power to even no. if, if we were to stand out for him to act in in a different way. So, uh do you have a challenge? No. Uh that wasn't what I expected at all. No. No, I didn't know I I mean I don't know what I expected. I but had no idea what to think either, but that was pretty the, wild, right? The movie was like called Sunshine and yeah. There's like Eternal Eternal like Eternal Sunshine and Spotless Mind, which is a totally different movie and I didn't once you said space I was like, "Oh, we're in space." Okay, cool. Yeah. And then but you get it now, like Sunshine. Right? Yeah, no, no, I totally get it. Yeah. Yeah. That's that was good. Um Okay, so challenge. This is tough. Just go look at the sun. <laughs> Just go stand in the sun. Just stare go at stare it. And stare Just, at it. Uh, no more than 30 seconds. Warning. Do not stare at the sun. <laughs> don't edit that out. <laughs> we need that. Yeah. I don't know. This is a tough one. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say this. And this is not like anything. I don't think this is anything maybe for growth spiritually. Well, it is in a way. But. You know, part of what uh, Clinton and I are doing with with other other men with Exodus is is to grow in fraternity, 
And I think a simple way to grow in fraternity is to grow in conversation. And we've talked about like praying with your doubts or, you know, I think one of the ones back when we talked about these song lyrics where you go and talk to someone who has different beliefs, just to understand them. I would sit down with maybe one or two other people and start discussing like moral dilemmas and like honestly answer what you would do and what they would do and just discuss it like not to an ends to like say this is right this is wrong but just because by the end your brain is gonna hurt and you're gonna be want to be done and then you'll just go out and get like ice cream or or just watch a movie but like just having those like really interesting conversations with somebody else face to face that's healthy and it's good yeah i i would put two cautions on that so firstly um, just do it firstly it's really important that we have a well-formed conscience so again going back to catholic morality we're supposed to follow our conscience but at the same time we are responsible for making sure that conscience is well informed and not just doing whatever we want um so if you have this conversation maybe do some research and like look at some perspectives um sorry i'm always the nerd telling people to do research uh and the other thing is Keep in mind, and you kind of mentioned this too, like you're not trying to find an objective in this conversation, but in having this conversation, keep in mind that you may be wrong. Oh, totally. There is something that is correct in this decision. We just don't know. We might not know what it is. To be fair, early in the podcast, when I said I agreed with them going to the mission, I knew I was in the wrong. Like I know that doesn't stand with Catholic teaching. Right. And I was like, no, like literally that's what I would do. Yeah. Uh, and that's why I think these conversations are important because you're like, no, this doesn't make sense. But then you either think about it more or you later or in that conversation, do what Clint said, you do research, mm-hmm. like what the, what the, what would the church say on this? And you're right. like, what? Yeah. And I think that's fascinating. Yeah. I, I, I guess I'm just trying to say like, be weary of relativism and having these conversations a lot of the times kind of fall into okay, well, that's what you would do. This is what I would do. Like, there's not really a real answer. Well, technically there is. It's just most humans probably don't know what it is. Yeah. Or right. a lot of us, you right, know. Right, right. Uh, and so there is a definitive answer that this is what you should do. It's just really hard to figure out what that is, especially in the heat of the moment kind of thing. So just keep in mind, you're not God, and there's a good chance you're wrong. <laughs> And with that, <laughs> what a way to end it. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Gosh, why am I always the bad guy? Uh, shout outs. Do you have any shout outs? No. I tried to think about this when I made notes for everything else and still couldn't think of any. Okay. I I only have one. Okay. So last week at my middle school program, Edge, we were talking about, we had just kind of a random night on technology. And after my talk, a lot of the kids came up to me and were like, so you like hate technology and stuff like that. And I'm like, guys. So what? You're lame. I I had to have like a, a, a kind of explanation. And I'm like, I really don't hate technology. Actually, I think it's really good. And I hate cult. I think culture is. Really I hate good. culture. I hate too. culture too. <laughs> I think culture is really good too. And I think it just all depends on like how we use those things. And I mentioned because I I I don't talk about the podcast very often work or at least to like the kids and so i was like if you don't believe me if you really think i'm lying to you i literally have over a hundred hours of myself talking about this called a podcast and talking about like this exact topic and so they're like oh my gosh like you have a podcast no way and so a bunch of them were like trying to figure it out so shout out to any of my edge kids who are listening i don't know who is listening so i can't shout out you by name but shout out to my edge kids so with that Thank you guys for joining us in the adventure this week. We really appreciate you guys coming by and don't forget to follow us on social media, Twitter at on the adventure Two, Facebook, YouTube, the Christ and culture, our website, the You can find everything on there. You can find all the podcasts. You can find the blogs. You can find who have you had as a guest, Gordon, you, if you ever want to know. know, you can look it up. It's, it's all on there. If you want to know what, our faces look like to go with these voices. You can even find that on there. I would recommend not doing that, but a little outdated. It is. I was bald at the time. Yeah. Ugh. Gross. Uh, So you can check that out if you feel like it. 
Uh, again, like we said at the beginning, if you want to support the show, go to patreon.com backslash the Christ and culture and support us there. And you can get extra content and cool merch and stuff like that too. Also, lastly, probably the most easiest, most easiest. Oh my gosh. Most e- It is the most easiest. The easiest of all the things just tell people about the show that's the the fastest way for us to grow and to reach more people and if you have about half a second go click subscribe or like oh, yeah. or leave that'd a be review. the most greatest thing you could do it'd be the most greatest the coolest yeah this is how you know i'm really tired and you're editing so this is going to be merciless uh but seriously please share us with others that's how we grow and if you do leave a review or even just click the, the five stars or four, you just keep it at that, five or four. Uh, <laughs> if you do that, that helps the different platform that you're listening on know who to send us to uh, and who to recommend this show to. And it really just helps us reach more people. And we'd really appreciate that. So with that, thank you guys for joining us on the adventure. And we'll see you next week. Bye.